I'm Skip Paplesley with an important news bulletin. Booked episodes available everywhere. Listen to Booked on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, The Zoom Marketplace, and BookedPodcast.com. You can even hear Booked episodes playing through the conference room door of James Patterson's lawyer's office. This has been Skip Paperslee reminding you where you can find episodes of Booked. Thank you. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. So this week, we're actually going to be talking about... You know what? Can I address this other thing first? I yeah. should just kick off and talk yeah. about the book. But this... <laughs> I just want this person to know. I want to acknowledge this person. So, um, I don't know, three or four days ago on Twitter... We get a notification that someone mentioned us, which is always really cool, so we appreciate it normally, um, that Fabiola Carletti, who uh, her Twitter handle is at FierceFab, F-I-E-R-C-E-F-A-B, posted this. The award... Now, I see that, and what am I thinking? We're nominated for, for, for Podcast of the Year, right? So I get really Like, we're excited. hearing about our awards, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know who she is, and if she works for This Is Horror, but that's great. It says, the award for most irritating intro goes to... Booked podcast. Concision, folks. Concision. And then she links to our episode, which I think is great. But I do want to address this. I don't know how far into the episode she listened, but I think, Rob, you did explain at the top of the episode that this is how we're kicking off a new year with a list you know, of everybody we've had on the show. Yeah, I think within the first two or three minutes of the episode, we specifically state that um, that intro, which was about a minute and a half to two minutes long, uh, was in... Uh, like tribute or in, like acknowledging the fact that we are trying to have more guests on the show. So it was like, mm-hmm. it was kind of a gimmicky way to bring it in that ties into what we're trying to do this year. All right, Fabiola. So just for you this week, we went with no music, a little bit of Skip Papersley telling people where they can find us. And hopefully that's a little more concise for you. Yeah. So uh, eh. now can I talk about the book? Um. Yeah, I was going to go on Fabiola a little bit. Well, let's let it go. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> you know, we'll be nice. We'll be the nice nice people on this on this uh, this issue. All right. So this week, th- this book has a little bit of podcast history because not that long ago, we interviewed Matthew McBride. And Matthew McBride expressed such disbelief that we hadn't read this book <laughs> that we pretty much, and I don't remember if we did it right on the episode or if it was right after, we were like, all right, dude, if you get us copies of this book, we're going to review it. So it's a little older than what we normally review, which I also didn't know until we had already started reading it. But um, this, we're going to put Matthew McBride to the test. Now, after this review, either Matthew McBride can be a trusted source for book referrals <laughs> or... You know, we had Paul Tremblay on. He talked about how great, how great Haruki Murakami is last week. So we know that nah, maybe not so much on that end. So we're gonna see if uh, we're because Matthew... because like enjoying a book is nothing subjective. There's no subjectivity to that at all. <laughs> that's right. It's either really good or it's not. Yeah, that's why we have the show to tell that's people which yeah. one it is. Yeah, so we decide. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, McBride, this one's on you. So this week's book is called Hell on Church Street. First, a little bit about the guy who wrote it. Rob's going to like this. Speaking, Fabiola might like this, too. This is a uh, this is a very concise author bio here. Jake Hinkson is a native of the Arkansas Ozarks. He is a regular contributor to the film journal Noir City, and he writes about crime fiction and film at criminalelement.com. He blogs at thenighteditor.blogspot.com and currently resides in New Jersey. Not bad. Pretty concise. Concision right there. A little concision. That's right. That's, right. That's good. It's good for the soul, apparently. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> the synopsis, not so much concision there, but I mean, it's describing an entire book. So uh, here's what we pulled off of Amazon. A small Baptist church in Arkansas should be easy pickings for a natural-born con man like Jeffrey Webb. But after talking himself into a cushy job as a youth minister, he becomes obsessed with the preacher's teenage daughter. When their relationship is discovered by a corrupt local sheriff named Doolittle Norris, Webb's easy life begins to fall apart. Backed by a family of psychotic hillbillies, <laughs> Sheriff Norris forces Webb into a deadly scheme to embezzle money from the church. What the Norris clan doesn't understand is that Jeffrey Webb is more dangerous than he looks, and he has brutal plans of his own. I like the synopsis. Yeah. I like the psychotic hillbillies. It's, mm-hmm. It seems a little bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think of like when yeah. I think psychotic hillbillies, I think like uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I didn't realize when I was reading the book, and I've seen this name before, but really naming someone Do Little is—it's uh, just one of those real quite like what were they thinking? Like yeah. I, I, I used to have a woman that I did do business with at a previous employer. Her name was Anita Johnson. It's just like what are you <laughs> thinking when you need when you name your child? You know. And yeah. that woman, I tried, I tried, Rob. I tried, like, how I correct her. I'd call her Anetta. <laughs> I'd call her, like, Anita. And she'd be like, it's Anita. So it's Anita Johnson. Wait, how did she say it? Anita. No, no, no. Like, oh, give me the... I, I can't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's Anita. Oh, no. uh, there you go. I don't think that's it. So. Well, anyway. Fabiola is pushing us towards concision, so we yeah. don't want to linger too long on that. All right, all right. Let's move, let's move along from the Doolittle. It does sound, though, like it's kind of... Uh... Like something you'd see—that's a name that would be used in like a, a, like a crime show that takes place in the South, like a like it's like a justified kind of name. Yes, I would have yeah. to say it is. Hmm. So, oh, justified just uh, re, restarted up, didn't it? I watched it um, before we recorded this mm. episode. I didn't get to see it yet. Oh, it's good stuff. I'm so happy, so happy to have that show back. All right, so the story kind of kicks off. Um, in the present day where um, our man Jeffrey Webb is just kind of a, a fat loser kind of guy who uh, is held up at gunpoint and uh, just by some kind of drifter who's who's trying to he, who, who preys on people who he sees as weak that he can easily you know take advantage of he's held up at gunpoint you know uh, presumably for money and uh, what the guy wasn't expecting was that um, Mr. Webb is not your average uh, fat loser type of guy. He's got kind of a past that wasn't expected. So um, he kind of goes a little bit weird. Yeah, basically the setup that Rob just gave you is, is the catalyst for the whole story. So Webb is on his way back to Arkansas and kind of takes the guy who kidnaps him hostage he's yeah. gonna drive him to arkansas with him <laughs> but um that's the vehicle that's used for webb to tell the story of something that happened this this you know in a couple months in his life i don't know roughly 20 years ago does that sound right to you 20 25 years something like that yeah. it's it's a stretch of time ago yep. yeah yeah um it reminds me of i don't know if you saw that movie the seven psychopaths i have not but at the very least in the trailer uh there's a Oh, there's this guy that's in everything, and I don't know his name. But essentially, he's got a shotgun. He's pointing it at uh, Christopher Walken. And he's like, put your hands up or something. And Walken just says, no. And the other guy gets confused, and he's like, but I've got a gun. And Walken says, 
I don't care. <laughs> it's just like the best exchange. It is, and that's what this holdup is like, where like the guy just wasn't expecting Webb to be so unresponsive. But essentially, in taking um, his his captor hostage while they're traveling, um, he essentially goes. It's it's a it's a vehicle for a flashback to telling him about his life while they're heading towards the dis- the, the destination, which is the town that he lived in when the bulk of the story takes place. So now we get to the real meat and potatoes of the story. Our Mr. Webb is, yeah, I struggle with how to say this. Is he a con man? Yeah. And he's kind of a con man, right? Like he's not, well, he's not like a career con man in the sense that like he trained himself in a bunch of like, Mm -hmm. you know, traditional con ways of, you know, dealing with people. But he, Mm -hmm. his whole life is essentially one con I guess, more or less. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not like a grifter, I guess, is, right, is what I'm right. trying to say. Is He's not somebody who's, you know... He's more of like a guy that's living a lie. Yeah, and early on, he figures out that... that uh, <laughs> it's just this great passage. I don't want to read the whole thing, but he's talking about how he works... Or he's he's working with uh, the church when he's a teenager and stuff, and he realizes that the pastor of the church works like three hours a week. It's his room and board paid for. People give him money. Like, that's his job. He can make yeah. a living off working three hours a week. And Webb thinks to himself, this is brilliant. This is this is, this is is what I want to do, which I thought is just such a great revelation. Yep. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of the theme of the story is there's this guy who, you know, life really, you know, as a teenager or a kid, things weren't going too well for him. But he finds through the church kind of a way that um, not only is it an easy life, um, but people kind of need to like you and respect you. It's it's expected of them. So that's easy as well. Like him being socially awkward is not as much of a challenge because he, you know, people are expected to be nice to each other and stuff and be friendly. Mm-hmm. So for being a, a con man, he's probably one of the smarter ones we've run across. And, and his con is just kind of ongoing. He finds himself a, a life path, um, the, the path of least resistance for him to make some money. Yeah, one of the cool things about this book and and the idea for this story is not that it's like your your typical like um like bank robber stuck in a small town who, you know, poses as a type of person in order to like, you know, that type of thing. It's just a guy who who figured out he he found a cheat for life kind of in a way and um and and just kind of ran with it. So, there's a level of sincerity to it where like he believes in God. He's a youth pastor, and he believes, and to a degree, you know, there's a sincerity to what he does, but there's the other side of him that has, like, a giant pile, like, a box full of, like, pornography at home, and and we see his thoughts about things that are going on, so we see a much more cynical um, and kind of crass person than what his, his, you know, fellow church people see. Did you get the feeling that he believed in God? I don't know that I really got that. I mean, I know he kind of talked about if God... But I never well, got the feeling that he really bought into it. I think to a degree, because um, he did a lot of like, if there is a God kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I don't think he fully, like, my impression was he didn't fully discount the idea. Um, I think that, my, well, my impression at least was that it, the God, if God existed, it wasn't going to be what everybody else in the church thought it was. <clears throat> That's fair. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I buy that. I can buy that from him as right. a character. All right, so a little bit more of the story before we have to cut off to keep spoiler free. So some of this is in the synopsis. He gets a job. He's a youth minister in this small town. 
he cozies up to all the right people and they like him but he kind of falls hard for for somebody that you know you wouldn't expect it so in a lot of books you know you fall for the the beautiful girl or, or something like this he falls for just a very average if not less than average looking woman who happens to be or girl i should say she's a teenager that happens to be the daughter of the the pastor that he's working for yep and so that's and that's one of the things in the book also that I, I think is a good definition for the character is that like as the book unfolds and even in the synopsis you you're led to believe that he's just a no good kind of guy but um his his love for this girl is genuine and it's really the only thing in his life that that he cares enough about to like maybe try to be a normal person even though he's still a little bit of a scumbag well, yeah, <laughs> he actually, um, she does not return the attention that, that, you know, that, that he would like. So he kind of cons, cons his way into that as well, into, into her heart. Yeah. So, uh, the real kind of like conflict arises when the sheriff, you know, kind of sees her visiting his house. I guess it's not too much of a, a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's kind of got... He's got leverage against uh, against Webb, and he confronts him and kind of just you know blackmails him into doing some some kind of criminal type stuff for him, which then just then it kind of sets all the dominoes falling basically. That's where it really becomes your I don't want to say average at all, but that's where it becomes your more standard crime story at that point. Yeah, uh, you know every turn he takes is is kind of wrong and it just he gets deeper and deeper involved in this in this whole thing with the psychotic hillbillies the norris family (laughs) and that's probably pretty much as far as we can actually explain the story suffice to say um there's a part in the book there that just turns and for me at least that part in the book where it where it goes from this kind of you know more of just like a normal story about a person and his life to more the crime side of the book totally caught me by surprise. I mean, like you saw it coming, but you didn't see it coming, at least for me. Yeah, we were, and I don't know if we were told this, but I know I read that this book is kind of shocking. And anybody who listened to the episode where we had Paul Tremblay on, Rob had uh, decided that apparently I, uh, I don't even know if that actually made it into the episode. I know I referenced it later that I've just become desensitized to anything. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it, it turned pretty brutal pretty quick. Yep. Um, and the death scenes, uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's some people that die in this and the way I, the way I feel about it is that it's, um, the whole thing, the whole kind of feel of the book is that this guy is definitely not like a practice criminal. And even in our trying to describe him, we couldn't like fit him into the normal, typical con man type role. Um, and, and that goes for everything. So like any type of crime that's committed, any fighting, any violence is just like from the perspective of people or a person that just aren't, don't live in that world. So it's just so awkward and sometimes funny and, and (laughs) sometimes just like way more like violent than, you know, I would have expected. Yeah, it's it's refreshing in a way um, early on, and we've had this conversation a couple of times. You talked about the the really convenient protagonist, 
Yeah. You know, he was a special forces. So of course he could <laughs> kick the ass of, you know, six guys in a room, that type of thing. Yeah. What we have here strikes me as a little more realistic. It, it's what could likely happen to me and Rob if we were in that situation where, you know, maybe we'd have to go a certain direction, but we certainly wouldn't get to it either very stealthily or, <laughs> you know, real suavely. It, it would be kind of a jumbled mess. And that's, that's where, where Jeff Webb kind of, that's where his life ends up. Yep. Um, and and I don't know if you got this, but I, uh, as I was reading through it, the feeling I got, and we talked about um, characters like this before with the uh, fuckload of scotch tape, the character, the main character there, Benji, I got a, kind of a similar feeling with Webb, although Webb maybe isn't as likable as the Benji character. That might be a little bit of spoiler. Um, um, I don't. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I really <laughs> kind of liked Webb a lot. But but the idea. So essentially, the the similarity I saw was that he knows he's more or less like not the best person. He's not really a good person, like in the way that he feels and acts in life. But he kind of has this idea that he could be good or he could have a life that is good, even if like you know deep down he knows it's unrealistic and most likely it's never going to happen. He still has this kind of like defeated optimism, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and it's nice because his, he doesn't just randomly have these thoughts. It's him falling for this girl that makes him think he can right. straighten his life out. And yeah. I think that that could hold fairly true to life. Much like I said, some of the weirder, clumsier crime situations he gets involved in and when i say that they are not i know robert said that at some points they're kind of funny there's no humor in this book there's nothing really i yeah. think written to be yeah. funny you know when i say it's clumsy i don't think slapsticky you know three stooges kind of kind of stuff you know it's just really awkward i think was what rob said earlier and i think that was probably the best way to put it is he's just very awkward when it comes to these things yeah but yeah, I felt like it was a very, very genuine and real book. And at a couple of a couple of points, and I don't watch a lot of like the true crime stuff, you know, or like unsolved cold case type shows. But from the few I've seen, like I, I almost got visions like I was watching one of those when I was reading this book. You know, yeah, I could like, see that, like, yeah. like almost like, you know, I could see like the reenactment of the scene they're talking about and like how, you know, they're not really sure what happened, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, uh, it just that. felt very, very realistic, uh, more so than than a lot of crime stuff that I've read. Yeah. One thing I want to point out that I thought was, uh, you know, every, you know, books, oftentimes uh, you'll have something that, you know, is gone back to multiple times throughout the book. And, and in this one, one of the thematic things that. Webb went back to was talking about what he called the fundamental truths of life. And there's four of them that he mentions. Um, and I kind of jotted them all down together because I thought they were interesting. And it really kind of, it's a window into the character of Webb to a degree. Uh, the first fundamental truth of life is that most people just want you to tell them what they want to hear. So um, one of the main reasons that he thought he would do well in the church is because he understood that. Number two, we only really trust people who share our prejudices. Again, something that probably bought him a lot of, uh, you know, uh, trust in the church. Number three, to 99.9% .9 of the world, you don't exist. Uh, and number four, how much people care about you is directly proportional to how much they actually need you. So kind of a pessimistic fundamental truth of life list, but definitely a window into the character of Webb for sure. 
Yeah, those fundamental truths, I think, are what started endearing me to him a little bit, is his insight into people. Mm-hmm. And we, we really could look at this and say, all right, the character wound up on a really slippery slope, but it wasn't it wasn't of his own doing. He was kind of coerced into it. But this guy could have gone a different direction, knowing the things he knew and the way he, he knew how to manipulate people. So he still chose the road that was that was much, much cleaner. Of you know, he was just you know, going to doing his gig at the church, kind of fake believing, fake caring about people so he could get paid. But um he was just very, very insightful and the writing was almost conversational through a good portion of the book, and that's what I really, really liked. The story was really good. I really liked the writing a lot. I liked the st- I liked his style. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Fundamental truth number four was one of my quotes, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I oh, totally no, no, it's it. okay. No, it's much better to lay them all out, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fundamental truth number two was one of my quotes, too. So that's why I was like, yeah, we might as well just put them all together. At this point, <laughs> should we just go into some quotes? Yeah, why don't you kick it off, because I just did four, basically. I am going to kick it off. You found a way, different way to sneak them in there, I guess, right? <laughs> I have uh, I have two that are going to, and they're from the same page, so I'm going to read them like they're one. It's just I kind of skip a paragraph here. It's a lot about what we talked about, um, Webb's ideal, ideas about the church. So, But that's exactly why, for the most part, religion's a scam. For all its history and prestige, for all the buildings built to honor it, and the blood spilt to propagate it, religion is no different than reading palms or staring at tea leaves. That was one of your quotes, wasn't it? Surprisingly, no. Okay. I'm going to skip down to paragraph, <laughs> the later paragraph on this page. It hit me like divine inspiration. Religion is the greatest graft ever invented because no one ever loses money claiming to speak for the invisible man in the sky. People already believe in him. They already accept they owe him money, and they think they'll burn in hell if they don't pay him. If you can't make money in the religion business, you need to give up. Yeah, excellent stuff. Um, I'm going to... Uh go back toward the beginning of the book and this is the abduction scene you know pre-flashback part of the book um and there was just some lines i thought were pretty funny well there's a line i thought was pretty funny and i'm gonna do one that's like i thought was pretty hard and badass funny first the car reeked of cigarettes and coffee he started it up and backed out still holding his ear not moaning or crying just holding it like he might be listening to a seashell i like that (laughs) It's just so, like, in this, like, in the midst of all this violence, just this, like, adorable, like, vision of, like, this guy listening to a shell. And then uh, a little bit more of a hard, badass line. Um, These are, this is the the kidnapper speaks, and then the web responds. Uh, I find it hard to talk to someone if I don't know his name. I guess you'll have to find it hard, I said. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, interesting enough, you mentioned that. But yeah, it changes perspective, which you don't really realize because so much of the bulk of the book is done from, from Jeffrey's standpoint. Yeah. But it actually does change perspective. Um, also, really early on, <laughs> this just goes back to how insightful I found this character. As for my mother, what can I say about her except that she was the type of woman who would marry my father? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some really good lines in this. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, actually, this next quote that I'm going to give, I put on Facebook at one point, and I said, this is me in the future, probably, and just because I love the line and it has to do with books. Yeah, I've read a few books, he said. I used to read a lot. I used to do a lot of things. 
Yeah. Yeah. You got more? Or I've got a couple oh, more. I'd like oh, to yeah. I, I've still got quite a few, actually. Cool. Um, this one I, I thought uh, um, I thought would be fitting for you and I because of our, our uh, mutual feelings about this topic. On the television, some steroid-thickened gorillas chased a football down a snowy field while a freezing congregation of the brainless cheered them. Very nice, very nice. Mm-hmm. If David James Keaton were co-hosting this, he'd probably have something to say about like headless rapists. His zombie. <laughs> yes. Yes, maybe. I know. All right, yes. cool. <laughs> really quick one here. Uh, nothing in my 15 years would have served as proof of God's existence, much less as proof of his love. And that's him reflecting on kind of how he had a crappy childhood, which is really sad. You didn't cry this time, did you? No, no crying this time. Not okay, at all. just making sure. Not during Gun Machine either, I want to point out. <laughs> Smack dab in the middle of the book, I came across this passage. They seem to feel comforted. Maybe that's all that counts to people. If there wasn't suffering, men would feel no need to believe in God. The sick part is, if there is a God, he must have planned it that way. Yeah, his reflections on God were always pretty nice. <clears throat> I'm going to do just one more. Um, and this is just like it just really razor sharp insight like 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 we're talking about like the, the thinking about God and everything um, this is uh, him reflecting on, on the pastor of the church only a man who made his living being meek could have accepted my ass kissing so casually and the, th- and the thing I noticed after the fact I, Google Docs brought this to my attention casually is misspelled in the book it's causally <laughs> so uh, probably not meant to be causally um, so there's a typo in the book that I found by liking that quote um, I'm just going to do one more uh, in that instant her face seemed to absorb all my sins it was like looking into a mirror for the first time and discovering you're a monster dude that could be the synopsis of the book mm-hmm. seriously that wraps up so much of it yeah good stuff wanna hey wrap up wanna do wrap ups oh we're just transitioning we're so concise this episode so concision all over the place (laughs) Fabiola or whatever her name was it was Fabiola alright um I don't think I would have picked this book up on my own even after reading the synopsis um I did for once for once this might be one of the first times I read the synopsis before we actually started the book not that I didn't trust Mr. McBride. I want to see what this was about. Um, even after reading the synopsis, I really don't know that I would have picked this up. So what did I learn in this book? <laughs> so what I learned was that um, you can write crime in, in such a realistic way that I can actually kind of see it as a, as a cold case file TV show, which I know is sad trying to envision a book as a TV show. That's not normally how I do things. But I mean, literally, I, I got that feeling several times throughout the book. Um, we had a, a protagonist that maybe wasn't meant to be likable, but he was human enough that I liked him anyway. You know, him with his, uh, his box of horn and just kind of wanting to do the <laughs> least bit possible, you know, and, and still earn a living. And, you know, he falls for the, for the not attractive girl and thinks he can change his life through her love. And, and you know, just very, very, very real throughout the course of the book. Um, the conversational tone that, that it was written in I thought was just crazy and, and insight like like the kind of insight in this book is the kind of stuff you get in almost like a self-help book 
If you took out the insightful things about people and how to manipulate people and about religion and why people feel the way they do, this could totally be a nonfiction kind of self-help book. But we get that with a big story wrapped around it. So, um, Rob, what's today's date? January 9th? January 9th. Nine days into the new year, I'm giving my first five-star review. Boom. That's huge. All right, here's my thoughts. First of all, one thing that I, I was going to bring up earlier and I kind of neglected to was uh, I'm an atheist, always have been, never really been that religious. Uh, wondering how much different it would be if I was more of a religious person, if I had some sort of faith, how much different it would be reading this book, if it would be more shocking or, you know, if it would, you know, ring as, you know, authentic. Not sure. Uh, for me, it was kind of like <laughs> because I'm an atheist and I know literally almost nothing about religion at all um i kind of took it as like kind of how livius learns from fiction books because he doesn't read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. to me this was like like almost like a documentary like i was seeing behind the you know the scenes at a church a, a little bit um and, and and it all seemed nicely mundane and nicely you know harmless and everything and and that whole setup of just like you know you're kind of following around like a douchey kind of guy for like a good chunk of the book and then Bam! This violence hit. You not? I, I wasn't expecting it, so it just totally caught me by surprise. And then from then there, the whole tone just changed, and he changed with it, which I thought was really awesome. The under under addressed, I guess, in our in our analysis of the book, psychotic hillbillies uh, was your typical down south. Well, you're typically de- depicted. I'm not. I'm not trying to you know <laughs> alienate our our listeners in the south. You're typically depicted. You know criminal family um where you know one guy's got this he's a sheriff the other guy's a lawyer and the mom is the one that's pulling all the strings mm-hmm. uh i thought that was really cool it was a it was a cool family nice criminal element you know the whole small town thing really worked for me uh yeah overall the whole book was was it was a great crime book and it was surprising in all the ways that you know it that it and it was surprising in, in really, really good ways. I wasn't expecting some of the things that we saw, and um, I just dug it a lot. So not going to go nearly five stars like Livius, but I'm going to put this solidly at four and a half. Well, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to average that one out on Goodreads. Yeah, you know, we round up because we're nice. Listen, I got to tell you, you mentioned, and one of the reasons I didn't mention the rest of the family is that they really don't come into play till much later in the book. But I will say this since you brought it up. The mom. Yeah. <laughs> How awesome was that character? Oh man, everything she did and the way that he wrote her dialogue I thought was excellent cuz it yes. cuz like it was paced exactly how like it gave her such a feebleness that mm-hmm. like contrasted the, how evil she was. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So that family was terrific too and I just don't want to talk too much about it. You need to read this book. So I, I will say this, I think that it would appeal to a wide variety of people. Um but if you were into crime fiction, um, this this is this has got to be one of the best ones we've read in this show. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, yeah. I thought Frank Sinatra in a Blender was going to be uh, sitting alone on a shelf. Yeah, you know, it's and, so different from that though. That's right. that's the thing is I thought about that too as I was thinking about my reviews. Like you know, we just reviewed that. I just gave that five stars too a month ago, whenever it was. But they're two completely different books. Yeah. And and for me at least, I don't know if it was the same for you or not, but like 
there's there's books that you know early on or like throughout that you're going to just have loved it when you're finished reading it and there's books that just you know affect you more and more upon reflection and for me at least this one of I liked when I read it but upon reflection I feel like I grow to like it more and I grow to appreciate some of the more some of the subtleties and stuff that you know maybe I wasn't thinking about when I was emerged immersed in the uh, in the story did you just burn right through it too yeah two sittings yeah 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 good stuff good stuff yeah. we're going to have to keep an eye on this guy he I facebook friended him you are so much better at that than I am. Because you'll say, like, oh, yeah, I saw it on Facebook. I'll be like, I didn't see it. And you'll be like, are you friends with them? I'll be like, no. I have four yeah. friends on Facebook. That's because I'm wise, fool. That could be it. All right. And uh, no no review episode would be complete without a, a visit from Skip Papersley. So here's our latest uh, edition of Booked News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. TV funny man Nick Offerman has stated he's begun work on his own memoir. Paddle Your Own Canoe, Nick Offerman's Fundamentals for Delicious Living. The Parks and Recreation star has stated this will include an ode to bratwurst and an exploration of the, quote, manly arts. Mr. Offerman has also claimed that most of the book will be written on an old typewriter using only his mustache. In other news, law author John Grisham has filed a lawsuit against himself. Grisham is claiming the Pelican Brief was plagiarized from the firm and the runaway jury was actually the client with parts of Runaway Bride thrown in. In his rebuttal, Grisham has stated that he is, quote, shocked and dismayed and is currently working on a new novel about an author that sues himself. Now for the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Threatening to leave the party is Tom Clancy's Threat Vector at number five. Number four is J.K. Rowling's least popular book, The Casual Vacancy. Time to take down the decorations. Number three is James Patterson's Merry Christmas, Alex Cross. The second spot is taken by John Christian's book about a ten-point buck, The Racket Deer. Finally, Gillian Flynn swims in our blood carrying hope and dreams. Gone Girl is back on top. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. Hey, you know what I was kind of expecting to hear from Skip Papersley? What? Was, I, I, I know that <laughs> if he found out, he'd probably just stab me, but I follow Warren Ellis on Twitter, <laughs> which I should probably not do lest he figure out and hear our review. But um, he mentioned today that uh, his book was hitting the New York Times bestseller list. I didn't hear I didn't hear Mr. Papersley mention it, though. Yeah, and you know, uh, I, I tried to investigate. I wanted to see for myself. And I did probably like a Livius Nedden level amount of Googling about it. And I, I didn't find it anywhere. So I, I don't know. He, I, I doubt that he was lying. I'm not going to call him a liar. But I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how deep the New York Times bestseller list goes. I've never looked to see is there like, you know, 75th place or, or how deep it goes. <laughs> but, um, you know, that would be then our first review is actually a New York Times bestseller review for the year. I know I keep talking about firsts for the year, but it's exciting stuff for us. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I did listen to, uh, <clears throat> the reason Warren Ellis didn't come on booked was because he was too busy, uh, as a guest on the Nerdist podcast. And I did listen to that episode. Um, and there, here's the reason that you should listen to our podcast. If you are interested in books, Warren Ellis goes on the Nerdist 
and um, it's obviously in promotion of Gun Machine. They talked to him for like an hour and a half. Gun Machine literally took up about 15 seconds of the conversation. They basically said, oh, you've got a new book out. It's called Gun Machine. And he's like, yep. And then they moved on to other stuff. I was like, this is ridiculous. That's, God, I can't, I, you know, and I see that. And I understand the difference between that and like um, the nighttime talk shows. Because, you know, they have someone on from like the big new movie that's coming out. And, and they do the same thing. They want to hear some story from the person's life, some kind of funny story. They're like, oh, yeah, you're in this new movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's great. It was great working with those people. And they're like, here's, let's show a clip. And then that's all they do. They they hardly talk about the movie. I didn't realize that he has someone for an hour and a half and not talk about, like, the big thing that's going. I mean, that's the reason he's on there, right? I mean, that's yeah. why he's doing, like, a, a a non-booked podcast tour. Yeah. And the other, yeah. yeah. And you want to know, you want to know the other thing? I'm gonna call. I'm calling Warren Ellis a liar, right now because part of part of the episode, they explain how Nerdist got him on the podcast, and he he basically said on Twitter that he was available for you know interviews or whatever. And uh, the Nerdist, they were talking about how they were really nervous about approaching him, and you know that type of thing. And uh, but they did finally, and he agreed to. And then he, and then they're like, "Yeah, we're we're glad you had time to, to to talk to us." And he said something along the lines of, "Well, you're the only people that responded." Oh, you know, I'd like to say first of all, I was not at all nervous. Uh, but we appro- <laughs> well, Take that, Chris Hardwick. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, we approached him. God, I think it was back in like the beginning of December. I was so excited, man. That book was coming out, and I was like, "That's it, man. I'm going to the publisher. Went on an arc. I'm going right to him. I'm like, we want you on the show." The arc came, although through some weird archaic net galley thing that did, took three of us like four hours to figure out how to get these things onto our actual devices. But um, at any rate, well, he was on the Nerdist. I'll be honest, it, that 15 seconds probably sold more books than him being on this show. Yeah. Well, at any rate. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about a book we do want to promote. How about that? Sure. Now... We try to get Warren Ellis on to promote his book, okay? We reverse did this for, for this next book we're going to talk about. We had 20-something people come on our show just so we can put them in a book. That's right. And if you haven't figured it out by our cryptic conversation yet, we're talking <laughs> about talk, yeah. yeah our anthology, the booked anthology. We're going to announce a few more names right now. Oh, can I Can I announce this first one? Yeah, go for it. All right, so we've been doing this thing where we announce like three people that are in the table of contents. We still don't have a name for them. Anybody heard that from the Paul Tremblay uh, gun machine episode? <laughs> but um, the first person, our first table of contents member that we're going to announce tonight, Mr. Hora himself, Bob Pastorella, is joining the booked anthology. That's right. Bob Pastorella, longtime friend of the show. We, we met up with him starting with uh, Warmed and Bound. And had a very, very long and loving uh, history now of anytime we mention the horror genre, we have to invoke his name because of his iconic saying, it's all horror. Yep. And I got to <laughs> tell you, the story he gave us, it is horror. It is definitely some horror. Uh, next on the list, this is kind of my guy, big fan of this guy. We met him first in uh, Chicago. We recorded him as part of the wrong kind of reading at the Galway Arms. Seth Harwood uh, uh, has joined up with us and given us a story that we're going to have in here. 
yeah to the bone um really really good stuff there so. yeah pretty uh, uh <laughs> i don't want to say anyway. anything about these stories i know That's the problem it's like i just go oh this is really good because i don't really want to talk about the content so. Any, anybody who listened to that reading and and heard his uh it was an expert excerpt from young junius right mm-hmm. uh anybody who listened to that reading and enjoyed that will not be disappointed by the story he gave us agreed and the third and final um, table of contents participant <laughs> that um, <laughs> we're going to mention tonight. Um, another booked favorite. Um, I don't want this to be a spoiler for was keeping track. One of only two women that are going to be appearing in this book, Nikki Gerlain. What do you got to say about this story, Livius? It's disturbing. <laughs> it's really <laughs> disturbing, but very, very good. Yep, definitely got some bizarro elements that we know and love uh, from her. Definitely. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, it just hits the ground running with the disturbing, but uh, really, really a good read. Now, a little different from what we're used to from Nikki, because um, all the two dude stories that we've read, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Disturbing, but funny. There's, there's nobody's going to crack a smile reading this one. This is hardcore, serious writing right here. Yeah. But we love it, and we love Nikki, so glad to have her in our table of contents. All right, so for those of you keeping score, that's Bob Pastorella with Take My Breath Away, Seth Harwood with To the Bone, and Nikki Gerlain with Children of the Wetlands. All right. We're up to, oh, how many names have we announced now? That's over 20, right? 400. I have no idea. I can't can't count that high. 21. There you go. 21 names. There you go, Blackjack. And there's more to come. We're not even done yet. Nope, nope. But we're getting close. We're getting close. We better be getting close. So, but um, <laughs> yes, yeah, still more more great names to announce. We'll probably do that next week. That's right. Uh, hey, speaking of exciting news, what else do we got going on? Oh, all right. I'm going to take care of this just so that like people are spared the uh, the wailing and the moaning. Uh, <laughs> January fourth saw the close. Of voting for the This Is Horror Awards for 2012. Uh, we recorded an episode after that saying we were going to be just writhing in agony basically until we got the results. And we were we basically said, you know, hopefully in the next episode we'll know what's going on. And guess what? They haven't been announced yet. Yeah, I'm going to read to you from the This Is Horror website right now. A big thank you to everyone for voting. I agree with that part. Voting has now closed in the This Is Horror Awards 2012. Check back for the winners soon. I can only imagine that we got so many votes that they're they're having trouble like tabulating all of them. And there's probably a good chance that because of how many um, we got, that the guy from Pseudopod is probably demanding some kind of recount, and now it's holding up the whole thing. Florida-style. Florida-style recount. It's going to be a throwdown. You should have let me kill that guy, like I said. Yeah, yeah, you were right. You were right. So we're still waiting. Hopefully, hopefully, the next episode, uh, next week, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have some sort of idea exactly how award-winning our podcast really is. But oh, I, I, I just Googled the definition for soon. Can I read it to you? <laughs> yes. In or Wait, after? was there a picture of a horse staring through a window? 
I don't know what that means. All right. Well, you have to brush up on your internet memes. Okay. It says, adverb, in or after a short time. And when was the uh, the soon posted? Um, I believe that was three days ago. All right. Well. By the time you guys are hearing this, it was like five days ago. So if mm-hmm. you're looking it up now, because you haven't seen me do the victory dance on Facebook in video form. Um, <laughs> well, can you promise that if we win that you're no, going to do a I video? I cannot promise that. You have to. All right. I want your I want your guarantee right now. If we win this, no, you're going to do Gangnam Style <laughs> not gonna happen. on a video. <laughs> oh, I embarrass myself enough on this show. Not going to happen. It has to happen. Oh, there would have to be a lot of liquor involved. There would have to be lots of celebrating prior to this happening. No, no, it must happen. All right. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, Livius. Soon. We will know. Soon. Quotes. Uh, what else we got going on? Um, well, um, by the time folks are hearing this, this may or may not have been over. I've got to tell you, I'm a little bummed because uh, there's one place in this world that I love going, and that's New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And right now, maybe even as you're listening to this, it's possible that Handsome Willie's Bar and Lounge... Um, there may be a noir at the bar in New Orleans going on. Hosted by none other than booked uh, good buddy Jason Stewart. Uh, he, he co-hosted the Shindig of Chi-Town, and um, uh, he lives down in the south, I'm assuming in Louisiana. And uh, yeah, so he's hosting the noir at the bar in New Orleans, which is uh, January 12th, which is the weekend. I think it's the upcoming Sunday from when we're recording this. Yeah. Um, David James Keaton, longtime friend of the show, posted uh, two pictures from that reading that, that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of him and one of Jason Stewart earlier today. And I thought, man, those guys, those are good looking guys right there. Those are guys you want to hear read. Easy on the eyes, both of them. little inside scoop about the anthology. When I asked David James Keaton to give us an author pick to put in, like a picture, an, like an official author picture, he replied back and he said that he just wanted us to use the picture we took of him at the Shindig at Chi-Town because he looks, quote, all GQ, unquote. Nice. That's better than that weird one where he's kind of whispering in my ear from when we were in Corydon <laughs> the first time. That, yeah. I still see that picture and it gives me chills. It's kind of a creeper vibe on yeah, that one. A little bit. <clears throat> the other thing that we missed is right in our backyard, and this is something that's just breaking my heart as we speak. Um this is something that has been on my radar for a while, but I haven't had a chance to actually check out yet. Um, I'm assuming it's awesome, just by virtue of what the premise is. Uh, <laughs> we may have mentioned it before in the podcast, not 100% sure, but there's there's a phenomenon called naked girls reading, and the idea is pretty much exactly that. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a public event, public event. It's like an event that people can attend, uh, where women are naked and they're reading books. So. This particular one is the upcoming January 11th, which is the day after tomorrow. It's the day before you're hearing this. The day before, yeah. So it's in the past, <laughs> but for us, in that David James Keaton, Back to the Future kind of way, uh, it already happened. And um, uh, the theme, <laughs> I love the title of this specific event, is, uh, is, is Girls Gone Oscar Wilde. Um, so Naked Women Reading Oscar Wilde. And we missed it. Um, I will be working and will be unable to attend. But one day, I promise, I will be attending uh, Naked Women Reading. Women Reading Naked? 
Naked girls I, reading. Um, they do. Uh, it's BYOB, at least at this particular event. I noticed that when I was on their website doing my uh, my research for this episode. B And the last B stands for boobs. Bring your own. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, so yeah, so that's there. You go. There's two readings we're uh, we're missing. Um, I don't know what to say. Lots of readings going on, and we're not. We're just not getting to them. I guess because we're busy. We got stuff to do, right? You know, we yeah, we're making a book, so that takes up some time for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's plenty of excuses I could just throw out. All right, so. <laughs> All right, a couple things before we talk about next week's episode. So our last episode, um, which was a bonus episode, was Cameron Pierce. So for some reason, you always get to this on the weekend or you're listening on Stitcher and, and you know, it's Saturday before you click the button. You probably missed a really great interview with uh, Cameron Pierce, top guy editor at, uh, at Lazy Fascist, author of Ask Goblins of Auschwitz and a bunch of other just zanily titled uh, books. Um, terrific stuff. Just want to make sure nobody, especially who listens on Stitcher, misses this because it'll take you to the most recent episode and you'll miss a terrific interview. Um, go back and check that out. Um, Skype and Microsoft thwarted us a little bit um, with a kind of a crappy connection, but um, you know we didn't want to redo it because it just was great, great content. So go back and give that a listen if you haven't heard it already. So next week we are going to be reading... Uh, Craig Wahlberg's book, Sound of Loneliness. Anybody who listened to our most recent three-author episode uh, will remember that we put him on the spot and demanded that he tell us which of his upcoming books we review. And this is the one he chose for us. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And um, we may just have a special guest uh, that's going to be on to review it with us, the, the booked favorite, Mr. Sean P. Ferguson. That's right. Let's not tease people. It's going to happen. Back by popular demand in 2013, Sean Ferguson. Yeah. No offense to Sean, but that popular demand was pretty much you, right? I'm kind of popular. Well. And, and, and. <laughs> Very demanding, he, for sure. <laughs> yeah. He, he said, he said that if we brought him back on, he'd get a Team Live shirt. So I'm, I'm, I'm rallying the troops around this Team Live thing. Oh, man. Really? You know, I thought about it. I thought, I was like, we get Team Liv and Team Rob shirts. But you know what? I would just knife you if we sold one more sh- Team Rob shirt than we did a Team Liv shirt. I would probably <laughs> knife you. And that would be the end of the podcast. Yeah. So it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> you have such a fragile ego that, um, yeah, Team Rob shirts could never and a quick, win. And a quick knife wrist, buddy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Remember, I, remember yeah. what happened to the guy from Pseudopod? <laughs> I thought that was a bat. Are you changing your story? Well, I, this is more important to me than that. Oh. Team Live. <laughs> Anybody who wants a Team Live shirt, just uh, tweet at us and hashtag it Team Live, and we'll uh, we'll we'll tally those up and see if it's uh, if it's a worthwhile venture. That Sunday morning, I'm going to go on Twitter and see if Team Live is trending. Yeah, yeah. So, any rate, <laughs> wall work has we've had wall work penciled into this particular weekend for i think three months now it's probably the farthest out that we've had a definitive date for reviewing a book yeah no uh the only one that i think we we waited for longer possibly was cataclysm baby by matt bell because um essentially uh it didn't work out for us to do an interview with him during warmed and bound and at the time we 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 were doing the warmed and bound he was like yeah you know next year i have a book coming out and we're like yes we'll do that 
That's true. That's very true. Team Rob. So, hmm. <laughs> so Craig Wallworks, The Sound of Loneliness. Sean, Sean Ferguson. Ferguson. Episode 120 something, eight. nine, eight. I don't know. We're going to be time traveling here, so I don't know. But we're, we're getting there, and we're getting closer to AWP, too. It's literally like tomorrow, basically. Not literally. That's the worst possible use of literally ever. Every, all of my writing friends are just going to hate the fact that I just said that. <laughs> I love that you just said that. Uh, all right. Um, anything else you want to tell the folks before we sign off? No, I think we're good. We've uh, we've done a lot of recording. We've got some excellent stuff uh, uh, for you now and coming up in the future. So just happy about all that. And um, yeah, that's it, Rob. Yeah, Rob. I'd like to congratulate you on a very concise episode. It was very yeah concision all over this biatch. That's right. We're so gonna until be... next time. Oh, hey, sorry. hey, anybody, <laughs> anybody who want any listeners, uh, feel free to tweet at her at uh, what? What's her what's her Twitter address again? Oh, hold on a second. I think it's fierce fob. Hold on. Let me let me. Could get sued. Yeah, it's uh, it's at fierce f i e r c e f a b. Yeah, tweet at fierce fab, and just let her know that uh, what you think about how concise our podcast really is. Don't be mean though. You know, be nice. She was, just, you know, she was just having a little fun. We don't hold it against her. No, but you know, we had to poke some fun at her for it. That's right. Um, yeah, and. Uh... And, and Fabiola, when you're tweeting at her, make sure you tell her you hope she feels better. Apparently, she has uh, she has the flu. Um, she had the flu for a few days now, so we do hope that she feels better. That's from that's book right. to you. Yeah, that's fierce, right. Fierce Fob. Yeah, make sure that your, your wishes for her to get better are very concise. Um, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Like it's Anita. It's 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 Anita. Anita. It's 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 Anita.